Drinks, food, art, fun. This is Hops and Spirits Kentucky. We're going on an adventure this week as we go for another drive on a road trip series 2023. Our first one was up to the greater Cincinnati area with Northwood, Sattery, and Darren Wilson uh, there in the Norwood area. Next, though, we're leaving that hoppy side, going to the spirit side, more specifically the bourbon world, as we head to Nashville, Indiana, and Hard Truth Distillery, and we talk with our master distiller, Brian Smith. But before all that, what's pouring Kentucky? Some news and notes around the state. We've got plenty for you. Marigold Catering Co. is expanding its food expertise into a new restaurant called the House of Marigold, which is located in the former Royals Hot Chicken location on Shelbyville Road in Louisville. The breakfast and lunch spot will offer a seasonal menu, full cocktail bar, and pop-up diners. Her dinners, excuse me. Oldham Brewing Co., uh, which originally opened inside the Glen Oaks Country Club, is changing its name to Inside Job Brewing Co. and moving from Prospect to Old Louisville. The old, the building on South 6th Street is about 5,000 square feet and gives the team an opportunity for significant expansion. The back half of the building houses Camp Social Club. After months of anticipation, Dewey's Pizza has opened next door to Braxton Brewery's Covington Taproom. The Cincinnati-based pizza chain previously announced that it would be moving into the former location of Parlor on 7th. They're at 43 West 7th Street in Covington. This Dewey's will offer the same menu of pizzas, calzones, and salads patrons have come to love, but guests can now have can now opt to enjoy their pizzas either in the restaurant itself or inside the neighboring Braxton Taproom. This will be the second current Northern Kentucky location for Dewey's. The other is on Dixie Highway in Crestville Hills. Um, the Dewey's also operates seven restaurants in Cincinnati. Sam Four is among five finalists for the James Beard Best Chef Southeast Award and the only one representing Kentucky on the list. Sam also re- recently announced that her first brick-and-mortar restaurant in Lexington, Tuk Tuk Snack Shop, will be taking over the former brewed location at 124 Malibu Drive, just off Nicholasville Road. The hope is for the restaurant to be open by late summer or early fall. And Tasting Table has named Bluegrass Tavern as one of the 15 best bourbon bars in the U.S., citing its massive collection of spirits, knowledgeable staff, and being a pilot of the country's bourbon community. Up next, as part of our Road Trip Series 2023, is our Q&A with Brian Smith, Master Distiller of Hard Truth in Indiana. Enjoy. Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at HopSpirits.com. Joining us here for our Q&A this week as part of our Road Trip Series 2023, he's the master distiller. He's also a partner there at Hard Truth Distillery in Nashville, Indiana. Welcome in, Brian Smith. Hey, thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you hopping on. I've been waiting to to get to try some of your products, and I'm thankful I did. And we'll talk about those here here in just a second. But before that, awesome. I, always like, I always like to start off with what I call the cliff notes. A little bit about yourself, but don't give me too much because we got some questions to ask. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, I uh, live in Bloomington, Indiana, so about 30 minutes away from the distillery, um, home at Indiana University. Um, so I'm, I still hate that, that we don't play basketball against one another on the college level. But uh, maybe maybe that'll, maybe that'll change in the near future. But uh yeah, so I'm, I'm uh, I live in Bloomington. I was born and raised in Evansville, Indiana. Um, my mother was an educator in Henderson, Kentucky, for 35 plus years, um, and she's also a Kentucky Colonel. So I've got some ha- had a lot, spent a lot of time down in Kentucky in my life. Um, and but now I'm just uh, I'm in Bloomington raising uh, my twin daughters with my wife, 
and uh, spending a lot of time in the distillery and on the road. Well, and, and you touched on on that, you know, growing up in Evansville, and I think, does your family still live down down there as well? My my dad does, and some of my cousins, and one of my aunts, yeah, and a so, lot of my friends, too. So, I mean, how did Evansville and going back there and just trips down there and, and spending time there shape you for, you know, this role, so to speak? <laughs> sure. Well, you know, it's oftentimes in your life, I think paths lead you you know, there are different paths that, that lead you to a destination that you didn't expect to uh, to land uh, at, which is, I, that's how I would describe my my journey to, to being, uh, to doing what I'm doing now. Um, now, looking back, you know, through the lens of time, I, I can see how it all makes sense. But, you know, my, my dad, you know, some of his friends are, are Westsiders there in Evansville. And, um, you know, a lot of those guys, they get together every year, make sausage, um, a couple times a year and make wine every year. Um, so, you know, I did grow up around doing, um, some of those things and the, you know, and it was always seasonal. Um, I never thought about that, you know, shaping what I would maybe do as a vocation. Um, but you know, it's certainly something that I draw on greatly whenever I, um, just as far as the instincts on, on the things that I do. And then of course I had some wonderful culinary influences in my life growing up, but, you know, there's, it's, you, whenever I go back to Evansville, you know, there's always those like hometown, uh, either meals or experiences or whatever that kind of take you back, um, to, to good memories of your childhood. So, you know, I definitely have some, uh, have some things that I have to hit every time I get back to Evansville and, and, um, you know, but I think, you know, down there, there's a, there's a culture of, uh, there's kind of some, some old, um, heritage from Dutch and Dutch and German, um, immigrants that are still kind of, they get together and make old, you know, old style foods and they don't really make too much of a fuss about it. It's just what you do, you know? So, um, I'd say that's, that's probably, um, you know, as far as the region goes, that's the most important about that. Well, and you touched on it too, you know, obviously you had some culinary influences in your family and so forth, um, but you didn't become a chef in the literal mm -hmm. sense that people think you kind of took it a, a, a different route. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I my first uh, job um, was uh, at a restaurant. My aunt um, ran a restaurant in Evansville. It was actually a kind of a hibachi sushi bar place, which in the 80s or 90s, early 90s was uh you know, there weren't a lot of those around now they're, they're everywhere, but, um, so that was, was an interesting job. I worked in the dish pit. Um, and I think, uh, working in a restaurant is, I think everyone should do it at some point in their life. It's a, it's a wonderful, uh, lesson in, um, uh, humanity in service in uh, in everything. Cause you really, you know, you've got the whole strata of, 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 uh, you know, different, economic strata and everything of people all working together uh, to get through a service. So uh, I will tell you that I've worked in restaurants, you know, in the back of the house, a few different restaurants in my life. Um, and uh, man, I, I am not built for chaos. So while I, while I greatly value those experiences, I knew pretty quickly uh, when I watched the people who were the, you know, the, the GMs and the proprietors of those businesses, I thought, Oh man, I couldn't, you, you couldn't pay me enough to do that. There's too much chaos, too many moving parts. Um, so my hat's off to the folks that, that pull that off every day, because it is a, it's a gigantic feat, 
Um, so I think that really, you know, I, 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 I just express those, uh, those interests that I have and the passion that I have for making food over the years, just, um, with, you know, gatherings with my family and friends, parties. Um, I love, I still love, you know, if I have a, a day or two off, you know, I'll get up in the morning and start looking through, you know, things to inspire maybe something that I'll make that evening and then I'll go to the store and then I'll spend all day doing it. And I, I just love, love, love doing that. So. Well, and like I said, you're, you're still using recipes just in a, in a different way in, in your current role. And, and yeah. before you even got into distilling though, you, you know, you mentioned the winemaking that the family would kind of do from time to time, but you also brewed beer. So, mm-hmm. so how, how did you get into those first? Um, and and yeah. what took you down that route? So here in Bloomington, there's a, a little winery called Butler Winery, and they had a, a little homebrew um, slash winemaking shop in Bloomington. So when I was here in college, uh, really, so I came to college in 92, and that was really the start of beer other than, you know, your domestic four. Um, and so, you know, I'll never forget how exotic honey brown was and, you know, those, those kind of things. So I immediately was, was fascinated by this kind of, you know, this, that beer didn't have to be this huge industrial scale thing. Um, so I f- discovered this little homebrew shop, went in there, started talking to the uh, Jim Butler who was there and, um, and he just guided me through the whole thing. So, you know, I knew about the yeast and I knew about basic fermentation from the winemaking Um so it's just, you know, taking it a step further and seeing how you do that with grain. So, of course, started with the actual canned malt first um, to make beer and yeast. And then, you know, you make your first couple and they taste terrible. And then you figure out why. Um, and, you know, and so I, I, that was really my first foray. So it was in college. Um, you know, you, you set up the little carboys down in the basement and, you uh, and you go for it and you make some beer for your friends for the weekend. And, and, uh, by about the second or third time, I, th- I think the first one that I made that was really good was a Hefeweizen. Um, mm. and, uh, you know, cause homebrew beer tends to be kind of yeasty, um, in general because of the priming sugars you end to add at the end if you're bottling it. Um, and so with Hefeweizen, you kind of want that flavor. So, um, my first really success was a Hefeweizen. And then after that, um, some stouts and porters, but yeah, so it was really in, in college. And then toward the end of my um, hobby with that, I was, I had a, you know, Cornelius keg with CO2 system and, and was doing it proper. So. Well, and, and like I said, it led you to where you are now down, down the road and that's distilling and, and going to hard truth. Now there is basically brewing beer and distilling. There's not a ton of difference until a certain point because <laughs> it's all kind mm-hmm. of the same. So it is. made you go into yeah. distilling and, and then obviously set, settling in there at hard truth. Sure. So, you know, again, back to the, the paths that lead you to where you are. Um, you know, I, uh, if you had asked me, you know, seven, eight years ago, uh, you know, could you envision yourself doing something like this? I mean, course it sounds great i mean i'd love the idea of it but um i i never really thought i would find myself with the opportunity to do it um so really it was where you know opportunity met preparation i think you know i i was at the right time in my life i had uh you know the skills put together to do it and i had a lot of motivation to uh to take hold of the opportunity so i met the the partners um we're so hard truth distilling company 
um, is a part of a family of businesses here in Indiana. Uh, there's a restaurant group, which is Big Woods Restaurant Group, and then a brewery, which is Quaffon Brewing Company. Um, so I met the guys that own Big Woods and Quaffon um, through a buddy of mine who was selling beer for them. Uh, and, and so that piqued my interest. I was like, oh, man, I've always wanted to see what it's like to go into a real brewery. So I just asked him if I could come visit one day. So he brought me over and uh, toured me around and I got to see all the big equipment and it was cool. And, and then I, I, you know, got to hear some rumblings about that they had just bought some equipment for distilling and they were thinking about getting in the distilling business. So that perked up my ears um, because I have a really good friend from college who uh, was, was part of starting the distilling program at Huber Starlight, Jason Heiligenberg. So he's college roommate, or not college roommate, college friend of mine. Um, and so I called him up and just kind of asked him some questions, went down and visited him, saw what they had going on at the time, which was, this would have been in 2015. Um, and uh, really kind of thought, huh, well, they're starting this program, dug around a little bit and um, realized that they were, you know, kind of forming the idea of what it was going to be. And so I just, you know, took the opportunity and uh, grabbed the ball and ran as fast as I could. Well, and it, it seems to be working out pretty well for you. And you guys have now a plethora of, of products and whiskeys and vodkas and different things. Mm-hmm. How, how involved are you in each one of those? Yeah, so I I, I always say it's been an incredible privilege um, to be a part of this. So I've been there. So at the very, very beginning, um, Cole Smith was the one that helped put together the equipment and um, they needed someone to help him at the beginning. He had done two batches of uh, malt whiskey at that point in time, because, you know, we had all this malt from the brewery, um, but we weren't sure hundred percent what the equipment, you know, could process regarding other grains or products. So when I joined in um, really, I, I started to kind of look at the landscape and he and I together formulated like, okay, what, what could we do first with this equipment? Um, and so the, the initial plan was, well, we've got five restaurants that have full bars. So let's, you know, then I, I did some research on vodkas and vodka bases. And I realized we could, we could um, mash wheat in this system. We found out later we couldn't do corn just the way that the system was set up because it's a, it's really an old, it was the old beer system from Quaffon. So it was a louder ton. So you really needed to be able to push the liquid off of the grain. Um, And corn is very, very difficult, if not impossible, to truly louder, um, at least with the equipment we had. So um, kind of circle back to your question. Um, Myself and Cole developed the first vodka, gin, and white rum together. And then after that point, with the cinnamon vodka and everything forward, um, that's been um, under my creative vision with the help of a lot of other people and a great team. Um, but I, I, I have the privilege of, of kind of running the creative um, on the, the products. So, uh, you know, again, I, I don't, it's, it's, a, it's a whole bunch of people that, that come in to, to add to what it is. I'm not, but um, I've got this book of, of all these spirits that I've made and wanted to make. And so, um, they've kind of let me go nuts over the last few years. 
<laughs> well, I, you've been knocking it out of the park, so I'm sure that that helps them, oh, them let, let you do it. And obviously, you know, when you're distilling those different spirits and it's typically on the same still or the same column and, and so forth, how, how different is that process each time uh, or or how similar is it? Sure. So all of our grain, all of our grain based um, products start in the same cooker and mash tun um, that then go to our, it's our, you know, our Vendome continuous column system. So, you know, cook, mash, uh, and then distill on the column through the column and the doubler. Um, so, you know, either, you know, we, we do that and put it in a barrel to become whiskey or in the case of our vodkas or our, you know, any of our vodka based spirits, uh, we, we mash, we cook and, and ferment hundred percent wheat. And then we run that through the column and the doubler. And then once it comes out of column and doubler, we also have a 250 gallon Vendome pot still with a, uh, a vodka column. So, you know, once, once we basically essentially make hundred percent wheat whiskey, then we dilute that down, put it in the pot still and run it through the vodka column to create vodka. Um, with our rums, we start out with 50% molasses and 50% raw sugar. We ferment it in smaller fermenters, um, little square tote fermenters. Um, and then we run those, strip them through the pot still and then do a stripping run and then do a finishing run, which is where we take it off, off the pot still. So that the rum never touches the column. Um, so essentially that's, that's the main difference. And then when we make gin, you know, we take those vodka high wines, proof them down, um, at our botanicals and then run that through the pot still as well. So we've essentially got two systems in that same still house that operate, um, they can operate at the same time, uh, together, but the whiskey system is, is constantly running. Well, and, and you talk about the, the whiskeys, you guys use that, that sweet mash for the most part. How does that differ from what a lot of folks use in the sour mash? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and it's one of our favorite things to talk about at Hard Truth. You know, um, I had a, we really had an aha moment um, in 20, it was late 2016 um, when we met. Uh, we, you know, I was doing due diligence. We were, we knew we were going to build the new distillery. So our original distillery was like a, real literally a 900 square foot space above a pizza restaurant <clears throat> with a couple of uh very um you know above hobby grade stills but not much not far above hobby grade stills um they were great they just were small and and a little bit cantankerous but um so when you know the the partners you know they're the ones really that have the big vision right the guys i work with so you know they had the big vision for the place and what what we could be um, and then let me focus on the liquid. Um, so as I was focusing on the liquid, I, I thought to my, you know, they're like, Hey, we're going to purchase this piece of property. We want to do a big destination distillery. Um, what should the system look like? What, what should we make? What should the system look like? So Colin and I spent a good, you know, six months to a year, a lot of time in Kentucky, um, going around to all the different distilleries and, you know, the wonderful thing about this industry is that people are really welcoming. I know you hear that all the time, but I mean, if you say, Hey, we're, you know, getting ready to build a distillery or we're upgrading our distillery, you know, do you guys have some time for us? You know, almost all the distilleries will give you essentially an industry peak and discussions and uh, very open. So, you know, as we were doing that tour through Kentucky and meeting all these different distillers and distilleries, um, 
randomly. This is before they had any of their whiskeys in the market and really hardly anyone knew about them. Um, we found Wilderness Trail down in Danville, Kentucky. And we had just been in Lexington for a while. And I said, you know, it's not that far from Lexington. We should at least swing by there. You know, we might as well. Um, and so Cole and I went by there, called and met with Shane and Pat. They spent like three hours with us. And, uh, you know, of course, they tell the sweet mash story from the beginning. And to me, I wasn't familiar with that. I mean, I knew what sour mashing was. They explained what sweet mash was. It made sense to me. But, but as far as the benefits or the difference that it could make in the whiskey, it kind of hit my ear like marketing, right? It didn't, it didn't hit my ear like an actual thing, like a more of a marketing thing. Um, but then uh, they took us into their first little Rick house, which is now when you go on their property, it's this little mini thing. It looks like a miniaturized version. Um, and they drilled their oldest whiskey at the time, which was a two-year-old rye whiskey um, and let us taste it. And that was the moment that really changed everything in my mind as far as what whiskey could be um, based on this sweet mash process. So I kind of thought, well, whether it's the sweet mash or whatever they're doing, these guys are doing something right. Because for my palate, um, you know, I'm always looking for complexity, but balance. Um, and and they're, that rye whiskey really, for two years old, it was just incredibly complex. And it had all this, you know, beginning, a middle, and an end, and then another end, and then another end, and it just kept going. And I thought, how are they getting this into two-year-old whiskey? Um, and so we ended up spending some more time with Shane and Pat, getting to know them better. Um, and they really were integral in helping us to um, kind of put together our distillery system. Uh, but really, you know, with Sweet Mash, what you're, you know, as long as you can set up the hygiene in your um, distillery, you know, uh, in a, in a correct way, which takes a little bit more equipment, a little more expense in the front end. But, you know, as long as you, you can eliminate the possibility or highly reduced possibility of any kind of bacterial contamination that would be over and above what's normally in a distillery, um, through hygiene, as opposed to adding back set, which is what sour mesh does. Um, if you can, if you can, you know, do that without having to add back set, you really have an opportunity to celebrate the grain in a far more complex and uh, robust way. So in my, for my palate, sour mash whiskeys are great. I mean, some of my favorite whiskeys are, are distilled in that way, but um, initially that addition of the back set to me kind of mutes some of those really bright, beautiful grain flavors that you can express in sweet mash. So as long as you can keep consistent and keep your hygiene going, um, sweet mashing brings out these amazing fruit and floral notes in grains that, um, and not in a like young grassy way, but in a really uh, a new way, really to me. Um, and, and so we knew, you know, being North the Ohio river and, uh, being, you know, knowing our philosophy of wanting to create complexity and balance, um, sweet mash was just a perfect fit. So we ran, ran hard at it. And I was, uh, I, I'm actually pretty surprised that, you know, at this point still, you know, it's, it's Kentucky peerless, it's, um, uh, wilderness trail and it's hard truth that are really the three brands that are, um, kind of hanging their hat on the sweet mash process. 
Well, it, it's it's magnificent, and and the 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 ride that you put out is great. And I'm going to get to that next, but. You also oh, do make a make a big point to use everything fresh, fresh ingredients. You work really hard with the farmers uh, that that you guys work with. Why why is that also extra important for what you do? Because that's an extra expense, an extra step that you guys take. It's a great question, and it's funny because you know sometimes it, it seems like when when you when you hear people talk about you know doing that, it, it makes it sound like they're doing something kind of out of the ordinary, but. You know, the way that I approach, uh, like, you know, whenever I think about making some, like, because I kind of think through the culinary lens whenever I think about whiskey making. Um, and when I think about, you know, the best foods, it's always, you know, get really great ingredients and just don't screw them up, right? So um, that's really how I how I think about this. And and if you, if you think about it through that lens from the beginning, um, it doesn't become more difficult or really even more costly to do it that way. It's just a, it's kind of a frame of thought. So, you know, working with, you know, we live in Indiana, we grow great grains, ton of corn, ton of wheat, um, more rye now than we did before. And there's really, we're growing some great rye now in Indiana. Um, but being able to connect with the farmers and say, Hey, we, you know, we, we want to work with you directly um, really wasn't that difficult. In fact, you know, our, our corn and wheat farmer actually came to us. Um, and so uh, being able to work directly with the farmer, you know, they, they take a lot of pride in it. They have a lot of buy-in. So they're obviously, you know, growing and, and providing us with the best grain that they, that they grow each season. Um, so that's an amazing thing. And then, you know, working with our water source to make sure that the water is exactly what it, what it should be. And then, you know, buying great equipment. I mean, I, 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 I can't say enough that, you know, Vendome Copper and Brassworks is very expensive. Uh, there is a reason. I mean, that equipment has been absolutely flawless in its operation since day one. Um, you know, of course, we've had to make our own tweaks because of the flavor we want or the process we want to um, dial in. But <clears throat> so, you know, you, you get great grains from your farmers. You have really good water. Uh, you have great equipment. Um, then you put in great process, obviously. And then, then the last key is, is great barrels. So working with a great barrel Cooper, um, Cooperage to, um, and, you know, we started working with independent stave. We've now diversified work with independent stave and, um, West Virginia, great barrel company. Uh, but, you know, really at the beginning, the work that Andrew Weebrink and Chad Spaulding did with us, based on our new make to develop some custom char toast barrels that really were designed around the flavor of our new make gives us a, a fingerprint on the industry that's unique. I mean, you know, really no one can create our flavor profile based on working with, you know, our farmers, our water, our equipment, our SOPs, and then our barrels, um, which really, I think that's, that's really what it's all about, right? Is you want to make great whiskey, but you want whiskey that tastes like your whiskey. Um, and, and if you feel confident that, that, you know, it tastes good to you and, and you've got a track record of, of that translating to other folks, that's where, you know, that's where we find our success. Well, and, and like I said, I got to, to try this the, the other, the other night and, 
Awesome. It's 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 magnificent. Even right from when you pop Thank it open, you. ton ton of you get uh, some great smells. Ton of like, yeah. you're like okay, I'm I'm excited to give this a try. And then when you do, yeah. it, it's 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 wonderful. And what's what's because it's getting a lot of praise. I feel like it's now kind of what a lot of people are talking about. Um, what sets it apart from others out there? Sure. Well, I think the you know the things that we just discussed with the sweet mash and and kind of our approach to making whiskey. Um, you know, we've just from that kind of alchemy side of things, you know, you don't know what kind of your whiskey you're going to make until you make it because really whiskey is a flavor of the place that it's made. Um, it kind of sounds corny, but it's true, you know, mm -hmm. because I, when we first got started, um, I took my original, my, my first whiskey recipes that we had not made yet and went down to Wilderness Trail and made a batch, you know, a few batches with them. Um, that we ultimately released as our origin series um, this past year uh, as single barrels. That if you ever see any hard truth that says Kentucky sweet mash, that's what that is. Um, and the idea was we would get an idea of kind of what our whiskey was going to taste like before we got to our column running. Um, and then, you know, once we got ours, you know, started to release our first juice, you know, we would have, 40 or 50 barrels to kind of just, you know, blend in some older liquid. Well, as the, as it turns out, even though it was our recipe, our barrels, same yeast strain, same process, same stills, the whiskey tastes completely different. So, you know, when you, when you say, you know, what, 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 what lends to your flavor, why does it taste different? I think you know, there's a lot of things that I can't put my fingers on, you know, that I can't touch that, that I, I kind of love that part of it. Cause there is some, some mystery there. Um, but really good, you know, great grains, great, great practice, um, really good barrels. Uh, one thing I've noticed about all of our whiskeys, which, you know, so far we've released a few ryes, um, and then we've got bourbons that we're laying down that we've not released yet. Um, but as I evaluate all of them, there is this kind of this through line through all of our whiskey of um, a real bright fruit note. And a lot of sweetness. So, you know, that rye that you, that you just put up in front of the camera is 94% rye, 6% malted barley. Um, it shouldn't be as sweet as it is if you think through the lens of, you know, what rye contributes. Rye is more of a savory and spice, right? And people think of corn and malt really bringing the sweetness to whiskeys. But um, one thing I've noticed is that for all the things that we put together to make our whiskeys, um, especially with our ryes, we really get, and you can even taste it on the new make, this on the new make, it, it comes forward as like, almost like mango and papaya or guava, like this really bright, sweet, tropical fruit. Um, but then once it sits in the barrel for a while, that turns into like peach and red apple and um, some of those nice, more like a tree fruit. Um, but, you know, one thing that, that we don't get a lot in our rye or at all thus far is are those dill notes like those fresh dill notes um and with the 94 percent rye six percent malted barley you expect you know because a lot of the 95.5 from indiana you taste has some dill characteristic to it um but ours has 0.0 percent of that so kind of a long way to answer your question but but i think that you know we make really determined decisions to create the highest quality liquid that we can we try not to uh, fiddle with, you know, the things that we're given. We, we just kind of express them, uh, hopefully, in the best way that we can. And uh, then we just let the liquid speak for itself. So even though we're a sweet mash and we're not adding sour 
uh, we're not any back set in, we're finding that there's a tremendous uh, consistency throughout all of our whiskeys um, that really speaks to our, our process and our ingredients. Well, and, and like I said, clearly a lot of praise coming come your way and rightly so, but you know, you're one of the, you know, in the big, big schema of things, you're kind of one of the smaller guys, the craft distillers. Mm. Um, but it seems like a lot of you in Indiana, whether it's you, Starlight, are making a lot of noise these days. <laughs> yeah, there is some great, great, great spirits being made in Indiana right now. You know, obviously now, I don't think, you know, six or seven years ago, maybe people didn't know as, as much. But, you know, now everybody knows the behemoth that is MGP and the whiskey that they've put into the world um over the past years which is really great whiskey i mean for such a large producer you know that people have used their whiskey to launch other brands you know you i wouldn't expect logically it doesn't make sense that it would be so good but they really make great whiskey um but besides them you know if you think about how kentucky you know kentucky whiskey traditions you know a lot of the the information the tradition the quality kind of radiates outward from centralized areas so um being that we're so close to kentucky and with mgp um there there are a lot of great great things happening in indiana now guys starlight you know ted huber his kids jason hogenberg there and their whole team there at starlight has been making great whiskey um alan bishop at spirits of french licks is making great whiskey we've got the guys now um up north you know there's there's going to be a uh, a new facility that they, they just opened it uh, at West West Fork and Westfield. Um, then Journeyman's putting in a, a new facility now coming down from Michigan into Indiana. So uh, there are really, and there's some other ones that I'm, I'm missing that are, are great distillers as well. But, you know, the Indiana distilling community um, is really putting out some great stuff. And I think you're going to see a lot more from, I don't think, I know you're going to see a lot more from us um, coming forward. And, and I think that, that the, that the praise that's coming, um, for my peers is, is, uh, is really, uh, deserved. They're, they're making some great stuff. A lot of great apple brandy as well. I don't know if, you know, Indiana, Southern Indiana's kind of been known. And if you read anything from Alan Bishop, he does a lot of historical, um, you know, brings up a lot of old historical stuff about, you know, the German settlers that came into, they call it the, the, the little black forest there in Southern Indiana, and uh, there's a long tradition of making great apple brandy. We don't make any, but there's some, they've got some, between Huber, Starlight, and um, Alan Bishop, there's some great apple brandy out there as well. I was going to say, whatever you guys are doing over there, I hope you guys keep doing it because it's it's great. And, and Yeah, we're yeah, not going you, anywhere. And you touched on it a little bit. You know, you got some bourbons that you've laid down that you're you're letting come to the, the right age that you want. What what can folks expect down the road from you that, that you can talk about and not get yourself in trouble with? <laughs> sure. No, I'll talk about anything. So we, we actually, you know, another thing that, that I love about our opportunity is, you know, being in Indiana, we're not, we're not kind of um, confined by uh, a traditional paradigm of, you know, like fire open a distillery in Kentucky, you know, you probably wouldn't want to mess with a good thing that much, you know, because it's, you know, you make great whiskey in Kentucky, you put Kentucky bourbon on the label, you got a big leg up. Um, but being in Indiana, we're, we're kind of open to, to exploring some different, you know, avenues. So um, in that vein, we actually are producing about five rye mash bills and about five bourbon mash bills. 
Um, some of them less than others, uh, but the idea is within our sweet mash whiskey portfolio, you know, now we've got the sweet mash rye, but within our sweet mash rye, I've actually got five different mash bills. We're doing barrel finishes. I've got a, a, a guy named Chris Moore, who is a wonderfully talented um, guy. He's started out distilling and uh, now he's moved over to barrel management, blending evaluations. He's got an incredible palate. He's been an incredible um, partner. He and Tim O'Brien, one of our uh, one of our business partners, you know, Tim, Chris, and myself are, are kind of the core of the evaluation team. Um, but Chris has really run with the uh, the barrel finished program, so he's been sourcing some incredible barrel finishes. It's kind of you know we we all have to divide and conquer. So I said, Chris, you can go for that, and and he's got a, a good background in the wine industry, so he knows you know that what Sauterne casks could bring to a rye whiskey. Um, so within those five rye mash bills, we're also going to have some barrel finished stuff. Um, we're going to mess around with some different proof points here and there. Um, it's really going to be a, a, a great, a great variety um, of things in the barrel finished. And then with our bourbons, we've got four or five mash bills with the bourbons and we'll do some barrel finishes on that as well. So, you know, this year we, we will be releasing, um, let's see, one, two, three, three or four new expressions of rye by the end of the year in our sweet mash rye family. Um, so some exciting stuff coming down. I'm telling you the liquid, it, the most recent thing we, we just put together is probably one of the more exciting things that I've, I've tried. So look for some news on that coming out pretty soon. Um, and then we just opened up to single barrels. So you're going to start seeing a bunch of single barrels of that sweet mash rye out in the, out in the world as well. My guess is, We'll have a bourbon out by beginning part of next year. Um, the bourbon is tasting amazing. It's really, you know, a lot of it's getting into that three to four year range now. Um, and it's it's tasting great. But, you know, I, we set a pretty high bar with the sweet mash rye. So I got to make yeah. sure that when we release a bourbon, it's uh, it matches it. So, you know, bourbon typically corn needs a little bit longer in a barrel um, uh, for my palate. So. Uh, so there'll be there'll be some sweet mashed bourbon from Hard Truth coming out in the very near future. Well, there's some exciting stuff, some good good teases there. I, I will say, yeah. and, and and you know this is part of the road trip series. You guys are over there in Indiana. Sure. You got a beautiful campus. Um, so what Thank can you. folks expect uh, when they when they come there and, and maybe take a visit? Well, so I think uh, Jonathan, have you been? Did you? I have you not been yet. Oh, you have okay, okay, yet. we got to get you up there. So. I think what they can expect is uh, it's I've seen it too many times to not know it's true is expect to, to uh, be very surprised when you pull onto campus. Almost any time we have a guest who, you know, have been other distilleries or into the distilling world or have, you know, visited like to tour stuff. And I meet them at our tour center, they get out of their car and they're like, Oh my God. Like the, do people know this is here? I'm like, yep, they do. <laughs> and, and, but we're, you know, we get new people all the time. So first of all, the, the, my partners really had this huge vision for this, this beautiful piece. So if you've never been to Brown County, Indiana before, it's a, it's really a unique geographical spot in Indiana. It's where the Laurentide ice sheet stopped and pulled back. And so it's, you know, as most of Indiana's flat farmland, uh, Brown County is, is hills and hollers. It's beautiful, deep hardwood forest. Um, creeks, streams, it's, it's just a 
gorgeous place. Um, and so we've got 325 acres, most of it wooded. Um, we've got, uh, you pull in, there's Rack House One, and then uh, a little rental cabin that's brand new, a luxury cabin. So if you go to Airbnb or VRBO, you can rent the cabin. It's the only place you can stay on the property. Um, and then we've got a tour center where we do distillery tours, inside the barrel tours. Uh, we do an ATV tour, We Drive, You Drink. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that's fun. It takes about an hour. You go around the, pro you know, out in the woods, um, all the way down the creek bottoms, all the way up. And, and you do, uh, I think, three or four different tastings out there. Um, and then from the tour center, we also have a 300-person restaurant, uh, full-service restaurant that's open. You know, a lot of distilleries I know in Kentucky have very limited days and hours that they're open. You know, we're open regular restaurant hours. So 11 a.m. to 10 or 11 at night, seven days a week. Um, so 300 seat restaurant that's has great food. And then um, underneath the restaurant, we've got some some uh, space that you can rent out for private events. And then the one of the coolest parts of the property is we've got a thousand person outdoor music venue just down from the restaurant. So if you're sitting up on the porch of the restaurant, you've got this big stage down in front of you. Um, so we do concert series through the warm winter months, warm weather months. Um, there's a quick service restaurant down below. You can get a cocktail, a beer, uh, some food. So uh, to give you an idea, we had over 500,000 people on our property last year. So it's, uh, you know, you look at the numbers on, you know, how many folks visited Buffalo Trace last year. and um, People are very surprised when they get on their property uh, that they, they, they've maybe heard of our brand or they've just started hearing about it. And I think they expect kind of the, the scope of the visit to match what they know about us. And then they get there and they're like, you know, it's just big. So that, and that's hats off to uh, a big team of other people other than myself. I had nothing to do with that property, <laughs> but, but it's uh, it's an awesome place to go work. Well, you get to enjoy it every day. And then obviously nearby is, is Nashville and, and some of the, the other businesses that, that the, the bigger uh, group group owns as well. And, what can yes. folks maybe, you know, visit nearby that, you know, to complete that full, full trip there? Yeah. So Big Woods Restaurant Group, like I talked about before, they, they have, uh, we have a couple other restaurants there in Nashville. So there's Big Woods Pizza. Um, that's a great, you know, if you, it's a great, I mean, the distillery is also family friendly, but Big Woods Pizza is definitely a hit for folks that are visiting um, little Nashville. Uh, Brown County Music Center just opened a couple of years ago. Um, so we get big, you know, big, go to Brown County Music Center dot com or whatever. And, and there's uh, uh, incredible acts coming through there all the time. So you can, you know, plan your weekend trip to Brown County, um, you know, plan a maybe a concert, come see us and hang out with us. You can most people that come for the weekend, you know, they'll they're, you know, they'll think to themselves, oh, we'll go there on Friday night and then go do other stuff on Saturday inevitably they'll, they'll be there Friday night and they'll be back on Saturday. So <laughs> there's enough stuff to do on our property. It's, it's kind of a big part. It's not kind of, it is a park like setting wide open walking trails, hiking trails, ponds. Um, it's really a place where if you want to come with your kids, you can go out and find a picnic table, you know, get yourself a cocktail and some snacks and kind of spread out and, and have a lot of fun. It's, it's a, it's, it's a great place to, for, to spend as much time as you'd like. And, and then obviously if folks are looking to find hard truth out in the stores and, and so forth, where can folks uh, find it these days? 
So the easiest thing to do is go to hardtruth.com and we've got one of those little spirit finder widgets that you can click on and put in your zip code. Now, you know, that system isn't perfect. So uh, don't, you know, if it says it's not, you know, nearby you, it could be that it is, or if it says that it is, yeah. So it's not a perfect system, but it'll at least give you an idea of what states that we're in. Um, and then, you know, if you don't see us at your local retailer, you know, just ask for us. That's the, really the easiest way to, uh, to find hard truth um, in places where we're just starting to, starting to get placements is, you know, if you have a, a liquor store that you, or a bar or restaurant that you go to regularly, you know, ask the people who are responsible for ordering the spirits about us. And uh, a lot of times they'll, they'll bring in a bottle or two. Um, but right now we're currently in 21 states. Um, and uh, so we're just opened up New York and then we're going to open up California later this year. Um, so I've been out on the road a lot, visiting new markets, a lot, a lot of time in Texas, uh, getting ready to go to Tennessee. Um, we've been doing a lot of work in St. Louis and in Florida. Um, so it's, it's, it's great. I love the, the experience on the property, um, but it's really exciting to see um, people connect with our brand, you know, out in Texas. <laughs> well, like I said, it, everything I've had so far has been great. I can't wait to see, see what else you guys put out. And uh, Brian, thanks for, for sharing the story with me. Hey, Jonathan, thank you so much. This has been great. Find more from Hops and Spirits at hopspirits.com. Thanks, everybody. Bye.